0: This is going to be the last time we see you guys before Thanksgiving. Okay, how many have been jogging? I don't know what it is about the last two weeks before Thanksgiving. We think we can catch up and and and, and, and kind of, you know, veer away from the what's inevitably going to happen, right? Overeat uh, and, and stay fit. But so just want to say a happy Thanksgiving uh, to all of you if we don't get to see each other because I know we're going to go out. After this, uh, but on that note, on, on being thankful and Thanksgiving, we're going to continue our series and here to bring the word today, not me, hallelujah, our Associate Pastor Matt Bluson. Thank you, Pastor Roland. Like Pastor Rose said, my name is Matt, I'm the Associate Pastor. Thank you for joining us for the reboot series. And um, we're doing this series because sometimes we just need a whole new way of thinking. If you think about a computer, sometimes it gets frozen, it gets stuck, the processes stop working, and that's when you hit a reboot. Well, we can do the same things in our minds and in our hearts by the grace of God. We establish that whole new way of thinking. But since Thanksgiving is coming, some of us can't stop thinking about Thanksgiving. Maybe you're excited about the food, maybe you're hosting, maybe you have to cook something and you have to plan, not just on how to cook it, on the timeline of how to do that, because Thanksgiving meals take a long time to prepare but you also have to plan that trip to the grocery store. It's like walking in to chaos, right? More chaotic than F1 on Thursday. There's a lot going on. We have to be ready for that. So imagine this for me, if you would. You're about to partake of a meal on Thanksgiving. You're there, ready to eat, and then someone asks you to pray. And maybe you're very confident You're just a hero, strong in the faith, and you react like, yes, I am ready for this moment. Ready in season and out of season. Maybe you panic a little. Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? Thank you, God. God is great. God is good. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. Rub-a-dub-dub. God bless this grub. But you eventually take a deep breath. And then you start to pray. So when you start to pray, what are the first words? out of your mouth. Now, a lot of us begin many prayers with some variation of dear God, dear Lord, dear Father in heaven, thank you for this day. But do you ever wondered why we do that? Because when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, for example, in Matthew 6 and in the Sermon on the Mount, he didn't say, our Father who art in heaven, thank you for this day. So when did we adopt the practice of thanking God for this day? We're also thankful for this day, and I'm thankful for this day, but why do we say thank you for this day? And if we think about it, it probably finds its root in the book of Psalms in chapter 118. Because Psalm 118 verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's probably where we find the origin of this practice in prayer to thank God for each day. Because if God made each day, then we should have a reason to rejoice and be glad each day. And if we have a reason to rejoice and be glad each day, then we can therefore be thankful for each day. Hence, thank you God for this day. But, we don't feel thankful every day. Do we? We don't always want to rejoice and be glad. In fact, sometimes we want to raise our voice and be mad. Sometimes we want to make the choice to be sad. So what do we do when we don't want to rejoice and be glad, when we don't want to be thankful? Is it really possible to be thankful every day? And that's what we'll talk about today. So join me as we pray. Totally unintentional, but we're going to roll with it. All right, let's pray. Dear God in heaven, thank you for this day. And I thank you that you are fully aware of the fact that we don't feel thankful every day. And instead of judging us for that, you want to give us a reason to be thankful every day. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and take over and teach us in a way that only you can by sowing your word into the deepest parts of our heart that we might know why we can be thankful every day and how to do it. I thank you for this, my God. In Jesus' name. Amen amen. So today our main text is Psalm 118. Let me grab this music. Down. No, that's okay. I'll just use my phone. It's in my pocket. So 118 is filled. It overflows with thankfulness and with gratitude. And we see this as we open up to the psalm. Now Psalm 118, it's not credited to an author like some of the other psalms are. Some psalms say Psalm of David. Others say it's sung by the sons of Asaph. Uh, One psalm was written by Moses, so we don't know for certain, pretty certain, that this was written by David. And there are different reasons for that. We'll examine, thank you, Pastor Roland. I'm thankful for you, Pastor Roland. How many of you are thankful for Pastor Roland? I love that guy. I saw the (laughs) road. Anyway, that's why I trust him. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there are things in this passage that make us Believe strongly that this is very likely written by David. It's also referenced in Ezra chapter 3. So in Ezra chapter 3, they are rebuilding the temple of God. It's the second temple after the people return from exile. And then they praise God according to the ordinances of David, as we're told in Ezra 3. Immediately after that statement, they begin to sing this psalm. So imagine how important and how impactful this psalm is because they're about to dedicate the temple, which is a very big deal. This is the centerpiece of their faith in God. It is a national symbol of pride. They're thinking about the fact that God has restored their country. So now, in this momentous occasion, they are singing this psalm, Psalm 118. And this psalm eventually became a part of a series of six psalms that Jews would sing or recite or pray on important festivals or holidays. It's called Halel. You gotta have the Halel Yeah, I'm glad nothing came out when I cleared my throat. So Jesus himself praised this Psalm 118 at the Last Supper. There's something really important and special and impactful here. And let's start digging into it together. Let's read verses 1 through 4 as we begin our time in God's word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. And now we see why this psalm is overflowing with so much thankfulness and so much gratitude. Uh, there are so many different layers of emphasis that David, let's just assume that it's David writing this, that David is writing into this. First, when the passage begins, the very first word is Oh. As a way to call everyone to attention, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then the psalm begins redundantly and repetitively on purpose. Uh, We've said before that sometimes, in order to create emphasis and exaggeration, an ancient writer would uh, repeat a phrase over and over and over again, because they can't be like us, they don't have word processors, they don't bold something, underline something, italicize something. Instead, they repeat it. That's another form of emphasis. So the writer, probably David, says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And then he calls out for audience participation. How many of you like audience participation? Yeah, we like audience participation. We roll like that. So he calls out to Israel, let all of Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the sons of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. This represents the priests and the Levites who work at the temple, who do the ministry of God. And then he says, let all those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. And that's my favorite part because that would have included all of us. Most of us aren't Jews, but... In the Old Testament, the people who had converted to faith in God through entering covenant with him would have been included in the statement, intentionally, by the way, let all those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. So it's like David is standing on stage and saying, right side, say, that, that's, that, that's kind of long. But it does remind me of a performer at a, at a concert, a hype man, a rapper, doing something along the lines of, right side, say, Jesus, Jesus. say, Jesus. I like it. Left side, say Jesus. Jesus. Say "Jesus." Jesus. Something like that. God wants us to praise him that way, emphatically, with loud praise, unapologetic and unashamed. And the reason why we praise God that way is because his steadfast love endures forever. Other translations use the phrase, his mercy endures forever Many of us who have a background in church have heard the phrase, God's mercy endures forever. But as I studied this passage, one thing I found really cool is that the word endures isn't actually there in Hebrew. The word endures was added by English translators to preserve the thought of the author of the song, And it's a good choice. I agree with the choice. Most scholars agree with the choice because it lets us know that God's mercy, his love, it will last But, if we were to entertain a very literal translation of the text for a moment, that translation would say, God's steadfast love is forever. God's mercy is forever. And the reason why God's steadfast love and mercy are forever, because they are themselves rooted in God, who is forever. God is without beginning. God is without end. God is the first cause, the uncaused cause who not only is eternal, but he holds eternity in the palm of his hand. And out of the, out of the heart of this God originate love and mercy, that know no beginning, and know no end, because God knows no beginning or knows no end. That is the steadfast love and mercy of God. Isn't that just an incredible thought? And it's an epic thought, but it's not our daily experience. There are plenty of days in which we don't want to be thankful. There are days in which we don't want to be thankful, and I think we can see the psalmist allude to this in verse 5, where he writes, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. And now it's like a movie that you already watched, because we know the ending, we know that the Lord rescued the person out of this distress, but it doesn't change the fact that the distress was there in the first place. David's not denying this, he's not hiding this, and this distress is great distress, distress. This word, distress, in Hebrew also, funny enough, occurs just two chapters before in Psalm 116. And in order to fit the context of that passage, this same word that's distressed here in Psalm 118 is translated into a different word in Psalm 116. Some passages, some translations, excuse me, use the word straits, referring to a strait, a narrow passageway of water in which a ship must travel. Many straits were very treacherous because of the forced passage of water. The currents, the rocks, made it hard for ships to navigate. Other translations will use the word pangs. A pang is a sharp pain. And these particular narrow passages and pangs are the passages and pangs of Sheol, the realm of the dead. So it isn't a stretch at all to say that this distress is the that makes us feel like we're going through hell. This distress is distress that hurts like hell. And some of us have felt distress of that kind before. And if we continue reading on in the psalm, we see why the person who wrote this felt this way. Verse 10, we'll read parts of verses 10 to 13. This is what they say. All nations surrounded me. They surround me, surround me on every side. They surround me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. And now we start to see why this is very likely David, because he knew what it was like to be literally surrounded by enemy nations. And these nations aren't just standing there around him, mean mugging him. They aren't just giving him dirty looks and stink eyes. They aren't just gossiping about him or whispering about him. These nations that surround him want to take his life and take his people, they want to kill him. And because of that, it feels, he says, like being surrounded by bees because you don't know where the next painful sting is going to come from. And he says, it feels like there is a fire spreading and it's out of control and it's burning up all this dry area around me. And because of that, David, the mighty warrior, David, the king, David, the champion of the people of Israel, who people shouted out and saying David slayed his 10,000s, this David feels like he's falling and broken and overwhelmed. And sometimes we feel like we're falling and like we're broken and like we're overwhelmed because we encounter things that cause great distress. Now, most of us have never been surrounded by enemy nations, but we do have things in our lives that cause us to feel this distress in the depths of our being. We feel like we're surrounded by bees because we keep getting stung and hurt and surprised by problems again and again. And we don't know when the next sharp sting is going to come from. We feel like our problems are like wildfires because they keep growing and spreading and they're outside of our control. And as a result of this kind of distress, we feel overwhelmed and broken. I felt like this a little over a year ago when I was involved in a very severe car accident, and most of you know the story already, but for those of you who don't, I was driving southbound on the 215, just a few minutes away, and I took the Tropicana exit going south on Jerry Tarkanian. I live in the area, I had passed through this intersection between the Jerry Tarkanian and the 215 and Tropicana literally hundreds of times. So on this morning, the light turns green, and the car next to me starts to drive and I start to drive. And suddenly, it feels like there's an explosion. And somehow, I instinctively recognized I had been in a car accident. And I found out later that what happened was that a van, it was a Toyota Sienna, blew through a red light at 55 miles per hour, and it hit the front of my car just ahead of the driver's side steering wheel. So there I am in the car as there's a flash of light, of white, which might have been the airbags deploying because all of them deployed. There's coffee flying everywhere. There's glass and debris flying everywhere. And it's like time slows down. And I realize not only was I in a car accident somehow, but my life's in danger. And so I scream out the most primal scream I've ever released. God, Jesus, save my life. Save my life. And he does. And I come to rest on the intersection. And then the problems begin to spread because I get out and I feel the adrenaline rushing through my body and in spite of the adrenaline, I'm in so much pain. And I realize later that I'm just covered in bruises across my body, where the seatbelt is, near my neck, shoulders. So I go to the ER. And when I'm at the emergency room, they test me for different things. They test my bones and they test my blood pressure. And I found out while I was there that when you visit the ER and they test you for all these different things, you're going to get different bills. I thought it was just one bill. But no, there are plenty of bills. There was a bill for the x-ray, and the x-ray technician, and a bill for the doctor, and a bill for the hospital, and I wasn't responsible for the accident, so I wasn't responsible for paying the bills. So I was supposed to wait for the insurance, but the insurance was taking long. So all these bills hung over my head, indefinitely, calling me to collect, and calling me to pay, even though I wasn't responsible, they're just waiting there, waiting to damage my family's credit waiting to make it difficult for us to live in our home or buy another car, which, by the way, I also had to do. The RAV4 that I was driving was almost paid off. We had taken care of it. Our plan was to make it a forever car. Instead, it was a forever car. And we had to buy another car, which, thankfully, I was able to find a good deal because where where Jay worked at the time. Shout out to Jay. <laughs> and yet... We had to buy that car at the height of the market. And instead of having a car that we were almost done paying off, now it's like the payments reset. And problems like this continue to spread and spread and spread and over and over and over again. It's actually not done. The insurance conversations, they're almost done. But to this day, over a year later, still not done. And I felt at times, during this whole ordeal, like I didn't want to be thankful. And many of you have faced situations that made you feel the same way. Some of you have faced worse, and some of you are facing worse right now. Because there are problems in your health or in the health of someone you love, and it just won't go away no matter what you do. Or you're facing dire financial issues with real things at stake. And you don't know where the answer is going to come from. The list of potential problems go on and on and on. And yet the fact of the matter remains. There are plenty of days on which we don't want to feel thankful. But there is a reason to be thankful every day. There's absolutely a reason to be thankful every day. And as I continued reading Psalm 118, just captivated and feeling like the psalm was speaking to my soul, I read the answer, the reason why we can be thankful every day. And if I can be honest, my mind was blown when I saw it. Because I didn't expect to see it there. Psalm 118:24, 24, the first verse we read, famous scripture. And connected to that scripture is two other famous scriptures. But I didn't expect to see it because I'm used to seeing them in the New Testament. I'm used to seeing them in places like Matthew 21 and Luke, uh, Mark 12 and Luke 20. And then it's referenced again in places like 1 Peter 2 and Ephesians chapter 2. And I learned in that moment that those references actually quote the Old Testament in this passage. And when we see them connected to this verse, it gives us a reason why we can be thankful every single day. So let's read Psalm 118.24 again with the two verses that are connected to the front of it. Starting in verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The reason why we can rejoice and be glad and be thankful every day is because Jesus Christ has made himself available to us to be the cornerstone of our lives. A cornerstone is such a powerful analogy for who Jesus is. Because a cornerstone is the first stone that is placed at a foundation that's being made of brick or of stone. And now when it's placed, they usually choose, by the way, the the best-looking brick or the best-looking stone in the pile of bricks and stones, because now it's going to bear the weight of everything else. It is the perfect model. It is the most brickest brick of all bricks. And then they put the brick down, and then they start to lay the other bricks in reference to the first brick. So now, everything else that's built is measured by the standard of the cornerstone. And everything that's built, and everything that stands, and everything that is ab- it's able to withstand is because of the cornerstone. So everything begins with the cornerstone, it's built on the cornerstone, and it's measured by the standard of the cornerstone. And everything begins with Jesus Christ. Because mankind was separate from God, and creation itself was in shambles because of sin. Sin is a word we use a lot, but sin is ultimately any word, thought, or deed that prioritizes some selfish desire at the expense of love for God or other people. Sin causes damage and we're all guilty of sin. And yet, in the love and mercy of God, Jesus didn't want us to be the ones to pay the price for our sin. So Jesus is born of a virgin and he lives the perfect life that we were all meant to live. Perfect by the standard of God. And then, He goes to the cross, not because he deserved to die, but because we deserve to die for the sake of our sin, to pay the price. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for our sin in our place and then, death couldn't hold him. Jesus rose again three days later and his resurrection proves that he is the Son of God. And the entire weight of all of Christianity's validity and all of our faith and all of our future hope depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is a sure foundation. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that he's the Son of God and we know that everything he said is true. And that's why Jesus concluded the great Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew 7 by saying, everyone then who hears these words of mine is like a wise man or a wise woman who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Sometimes when we're in the middle of a painful situation or a confusing situation, we sing songs like the ones we sang today, and we sing words like, He will never fail, and we think to ourselves, but God is failing me. It's not saying that storms and rain will never come. It's saying that you'll come out anyway. God isn't promising us a storm-free life. He's promising us a storm-proof life. And along that same line of thinking, Jesus also said in John 16, verse 33, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's why we know we can place the full weight of our hope and faith and confidence on the cornerstone named Jesus Christ. And when we know this, then we find a reason to be thankful. And on days in which we don't want to be thankful, we can remember that Jesus is our rock. That's who he is. That's why this psalm overflows with such a spirit of thankfulness and gratitude. It starts out with that phrase, give thanks to the Lord because he's good and his steadfast love endures forever. And it actually ends in verse 29 with the exact same phrase. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And in doing this, David actually sets up a form of rhetoric or literature called a chiasm. Anyone hear the word chiasm before? (coughs) So a chiasm is a structure in which the thoughts and ideas presented reflect one another. And it reflects each other at the beginning and at the end. And what this does is it, ref- it emphasizes, again, the ideas that are repeated in the chapter. And, in addition to re- re-emphasizing the ideas that are repeated at the beginning and the end, it also actually brings emphasis and focus to the idea in the middle. So there's something important for us to take note of in the very middle of Psalm 118. Now, in verses 24 we found out why we can be thankful every day. It's because of Jesus. It's because he's the cornerstone. And if we read verses 14 and 15, we'll figure out how to be thankful every day. Here's what they tell us. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. So when we have these days on which we don't want to be thankful, we can fill our hearts with praise. We can fill our homes and our cars with songs of thanksgiving. We can do things to remind ourselves of the goodness of God. We can surround ourselves with these reminders that God is good and that God is faithful and that our hope in Jesus is secure, not just through our lives but also forever. Aren't reminders helpful? Anybody else here thankful for reminders? I am thankful for reminders like text messages, like alarms on my phone, like alerts, like a task list. I'm thankful that God sent my wife from heaven like an angel to remind me of things. And sometimes when life causes us to forget, we simply need to be reminded of what is already true. And when life causes us to forget the goodness of God in Christ Jesus, maybe we just need to remember how good he really is. This particular verse gives us a powerful idea for a reminder. Songs, music. Because music can remind us of the gospel. And music can remind us of the promises of God and the hope that we have in him. And music can lift our spirits. Music can remind us that Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. And when everything around me is shaken, I've never been so glad. Music can remind us that Christ on Christ the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is sinking sand. That's the kind of thing that music can remind us of. Music can remind us of the amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Those are the things that music can remind us of. And another powerful reminder is prayer. I imagine a lot of people in this room are going to pray before eating this week. Pray before eating on Thanksgiving this week. Or whenever you celebrate Thanksgiving. When you have that moment of prayer, actually allow it to give you a moment to pause and just count your blessings. Ever since that moment, when the car hit me, and I realized that God saved my life, And I'd wake up the next day and I'd pray, Lord, thank you for this day. It's taken on a whole new meaning. Because God didn't need to give me this day. My days could have ended on July 7, 2022 at about 9.45 in the morning. And yet, here we are. God didn't need to give me this day. God didn't need to give you this day. It's in his sovereign prerogative, however, he in His eternal glory has seen it fit to give us this day. Lord, thank you for this day. Prayer reminds us of how good Jesus is. The Word of God can remind us of each other of how good Jesus is. No one is meant to follow God alone. We're meant to follow God in community. In the Every Nation family, we say that we fellowship. With the church, we fellowship with other believers because we're meant to follow Jesus as a group. And as we follow Jesus as a group, sometimes we need to remind each other of how good God is. This doesn't mean our friendships are robotic. Like, hey, brother, did you know that God is good all the time? All the time, God is good. It means that our friendships are authentic and we share life together. And we do things like play fantasy football together, and we eat together, and we hang out together, and we watch movies together, and we remind each other of the goodness of God. When life gets hard, when our faith gets weak, when times get tough, we look each other in the eye and say, I'm sorry that it's so hard for you, but don't you remember how good God has been? The same God who saved our souls also will bring you through this situation. And I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds our future. So let's keep going through it together. We remind each other of the goodness of God. And when we are reminded of God's goodness, and we are filled with gratitude, gratitude can change our attitude. Gratitude shifts our perspective completely. We read that scripture in Psalm 118 verse 5 earlier. Well, let's finish reading it. Here's the whole thing. Out of my distress I called on the Lord the Lord answered me and set me free. Sometimes when we look back on our lives, we remember the difficulty and we remember the pain and that's easy and that's natural and yet in spite of that, God gives us the opportunity because of his goodness to look back on the fact that God brought us out of it and it reframes the way we think of the past and it gives us hope for the future and that's why David writes about the past this way. And as the worship team starts to come or someone comes to play for the ending, we also see this take hold in verses 10 to 13, which we read earlier. Let's read those passages in totality now. Verse 10, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. David was able to look back on the dark and difficult and desperate moments in his life and see the hand of God moving through it. And I'm able to look back on that accident now. And by the way, I didn't move. I still drive through that intersection like every single day. Every time I come to Target, I drive through that intersection again. And every single time I pass through that intersection, I'm reminded of the faithfulness of God. And the faithfulness of God is bigger than the remaining debt on the car that we had to buy. It's bigger than the trauma of having to drive through that intersection. Because I I drive through that intersection a lot more carefully now. In fact, I drive through all intersections a lot more carefully now. And yet, grace of God is bigger. And you might sit here thinking to yourself, well, Matt, God brought you out of it. It's in the rearview mirror. It's in the past. And when David wrote Psalm 118, it was in the rearview mirror. It was in the past. What about things that I'm going through right now? What about the dark and difficult days that I'm facing? Gratitude can change our attitude in the middle of those days too. I told Jericho, I was so excited about reading this passage. and I, I told Jericho, this has instantly become one of my favorite three or four psalms in the world. So it's this one, Psalm 118. And two that are back-to-back, Psalm 90 and 91. Psalm 90, written by Moses. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High. It's, it's those psalms. And the other one, which is probably number one. It's a classic Psalm 23. And halfway down through Psalm 23, David writes in verses, I'll just do the whole thing. I'll do the whole thing. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And here comes the dark and difficult part, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That psalm was written in the dark and difficult days, at the worst moment of David's life probably, very likely when his own son started a civil war and was chasing his dad to kill him. And at that moment, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. you, God, are with us. So gratitude can change our attitude. And in spite of the things that we do face that are very real, it is fully possible to be thankful every day. We can be thankful every day because Jesus Christ has made himself available to be the cornerstone of our lives. And some of us here this morning need to make the decision to build our lives on Jesus. To live with him and to live his way. Everything is measured by the standard of the cornerstone. And if you will build your life on the cornerstone, that is Christ, according to his standard, you will build a storm-proof life. I can say that because I've been through storms. I just talked about one storm and that was a light storm. I've been through hurricanes there are people in this room who've been through hurricanes. And in spite of that, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I want to invite you, if that's you, to build your life on Jesus. And the rest of us, if we've already made that decision, just need to remember that Jesus is our rock. We can't be shaken because he cannot be shaken. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you again for this day. This day on which you want to talk to us and speak to our hearts and encounter us and show us how it's possible to be thankful every day. So Lord, I pray that you would help us do that. Help us to build our lives upon your love because it's a firm foundation. Help us to remember that you are the rock that we can place our hope on. And as heads remain bowed and eyes remain closed in this place, if you're here and you know, you need to make the decision to build your life on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. That might mean becoming a Christian. You might think of that as being born again or getting saved. This means you want to follow Jesus and start a relationship with him today to make Him Savior and to make Him Lord, which means He will save you and He'll show you how to live. If that's a commitment you're ready to make today, then on the count of three, I invite you with heads bowed for everyone except me and a few life group leaders and members of our team looking around. Everyone else, remaining, uh, keeping this a safe place for people to respond. But if you want to start that relationship with Jesus, would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Anyone Anybody here? Praise God. Praise God, I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, here, let's do this. Praise God, I see you. Let's do this. Those of you who rose your hand in this moment, I want to invite you to say a prayer. The book of Romans says in chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you are saved. And I want to help you pray a prayer that... Confesses your internal faith in God out loud. So repeat after me as the church repeats along with us and say this Father in heaven I believe that you sent Jesus to live a perfect life to die in my place for my sin and to rise again three days later Jesus I believe that you are God the Son, I believe my hope is in you, and I believe that you'll show me how to build. So help me to live for you and follow you all the days of my life. In your name, Jesus, amen, amen. Church, can we give a hand to those who made that decision this morning? (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. Life of Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. And I want to pray for one more group. I want to pray for everyone here. If you could borrow hands one more time. You just needed that reminder today. And you still need a reminder in your spirit of how good Jesus is and how sure our foundation is when we build on him. So if that's you and you need that reminder, like I needed that reminder when I prepared this sermon. Could you raise your hand? We'll pray together. God, thank you. Your goodness is genuinely infinite. And it's our experience of your goodness that's limited. Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment that you would reach in to our awareness of your goodness, even in the consciousness of our minds and our spirit, and broaden our perspective of how good you are. Help us to see things in a new way. Help us to see things that we didn't see before. Help us to see, like Christmas lights on a street, goodness, um, sown and scattered throughout days of darkness and help us to know this in a way that's undeniable and real and personal in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Remind us of your goodness, God, as we live our lives this week, as we follow you, as we seek you in music and in prayer and in your word and together in communities and in life groups. Lord, let your goodness give us a reason to be thankful every day. Not because of what our lives look like or because of what's going on, but because of who you are and because of the fact that you are our cornerstone. Thank you, Jesus, in your name.